Hello, I'm Amanda Berman. I am a second year law student at the University of Nebraska College of Law. Recently, we were the recipient of a grant from NASA to begin a space law network. As part of that grant, we are creating videos that introduce certain aspects of space law. With me today is professor and author Laura Montgomery. She's here to talk about a US space aspect of space law, FAA regulations. Professor? Thank you, Amanda. I'm really excited to be here and be participating in your space law network. Um, so my background is that I spent over 20 years with the Federal Aviation Administration's Office of the Chief Counsel, where I worked with the Office of Commercial Space Transportation, supporting them in the regulation of launch and reentry and the operation of launch and reentry sites. And while I was there, I worked on licensing, enforcement issues, uh, legislation, and um, a lot of rulemaking. So I helped draft a lot of regulations. The, um, since I've left, I've opened up my own firm and I teach space law at Catholic University's law school. Also, I write science fiction. Now, Amanda has asked me to talk a little bit about what the FAA's regulation of space transportation looks like. Most people know that the FAA regulates the uh, airline industry, airplane manufacturers. It also regulates the activities of launch operators. So it regulates the launch of a launch vehicle, the reentry of a reentry vehicle, and the operation of a launcher reentry site, which people popularly refer to as spaceports. So I shall do the same for brevity. Um, one of the uh, big questions that comes up is who needs a license or permit? Well, anyone launching from the United States or reentering into the United States needs authorization from the FAA. And that includes foreign entities. And the other thing, the converse is that any U.S. entity, uh, whether a human being or a corporation, collection of human beings, must also obtain an FAA license, of course, for launching from the United States, but likewise for launching from anywhere in the world. So the FAA has licensed launches of U.S. corporations from the middle of the ocean, from Australia, and from Spain that I recall. I'm sure there's been more. The... Um, the next question we should look at is, what does licensing involve? Well, the FAA, Congress charges the FAA with licensing consistent with public health and safety, the safety of property, and the national security and foreign policy interests of the United States. To that end, it does several reviews. One of them is the policy review, where it sends around a copy of the, the applicant's uh, paperwork to the Department of State and the Department of Defense so that they may comment on national security or foreign policy interests that may be at stake. The FAA also sends the application to other agencies who might have interests and in possibly helpful comments such as NASA, the FCC, and NOAA. And um, these, these are all consultations. The other agencies don't have any veto power under the law. But uh, definitely the FAA takes very seriously whatever comments it receives from the, from the other agencies. It also conducts a payload review. Although the FAA is not charged with regulating payloads, it has the ability to stop a launch if there is something inconsistent with public health and safety and the other interests that the FAA has to protect. 
And the um, environmental review is not so much in the Commercial Space Launch Act as it is um, found in the National Environmental Policy Act, which says that any major federal action, and that includes issuing a license or permit, requires an environmental impact statement or an environmental assessment. So the FAA does um, prepare this type of analysis as well. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, it conducts a safety review. And for a launch vehicle, especially the big expendable launch vehicles that drop their stages in the ocean before they take a satellite to orbit, those are large, fully fueled vehicles that do require that they go over the ocean. So um, they have what the engineers call large explosive yield, and you don't want them landing in the wrong place. And in fact, the situation with them is so important, so precarious and hazardous that the, um, the ELVs carry a flight termination system on board. That sounds benign, sure, but actually it is a set of um, explosives lined up along the vehicle and someone on the ground will set them off if the vehicle starts going off course so that it will blow up over the ocean and fall in the water rather than on land and people. So that's a big part of the FAA safety review. I will get to the human spaceflight side at the end of the talk so that you keep listening. And um, the final review is the financial responsibility aspect. There, the FAA tells a licensee how much insurance to buy to provide coverage for third-party liability, namely the general public, people who are not involved in the launch, as well as um, government property insurance, because most of these launches take place at federal launch ranges where NASA and the Air Force and others have property at risk. So the licensing has to buy insurance to cover them. The other aspect of financial responsibility is that all of the parties to the launch, and that includes the government, must enter into reciprocal waivers of claims where they all agree not to sue each other. The third uh, aspect of financial responsibility is that if a launch goes wrong, and if damages exceed the amount of insurance that the launch operator was told to buy, the FAA will go to Congress and ask it to appropriate funds for coverage of the damages in excess of the insurance. I always do little air quotes around this word indemnification, but everyone calls it indemnification, so you can recognize it. It's not real indemnification because a vote is required. Lastly, and perhaps most interestingly, the FAA now has clear authority over human spaceflight, commercial human spaceflight, but human spaceflight. Back in the early 2000s, a prize, the Ansari X Prize offered um, $10 million to anyone who could reach space in a reusable suborbital vehicle. Well, and the prize defines space as 100 kilometers. The FAA doesn't. Um, in a reusable suborbital launch vehicle with the capacity to carry three people and then do it again within two weeks. So that was won by Scaled Composites, a, which was you know, helmed by Bert Rutan, an aviation genius who woke up one morning and said, oh, I know how to win the X Prize. And that's when the rest of the FAA, the aviation side woke up and started, you know, coming to the, to, to the meetings about the X Prize. The, um, 
the congressional response to this was to make sure that the FAA had clear authority over human spaceflight. It also did a number of interesting things, though, when it um, granted the FAA this clarification. It imposed informed consent requirements, a moratorium, or, or as industry calls it, a learning period, during which the FAA could not, cannot regulate to protect the safety of people on board. So um, that ends in 2023 and was predicated on the notion that space travel is risky and it's really hard and they wanted to allow the development of this nascent industry to proceed without the uh, heavy hand of government regulation stifling it in its cradle. So um, the moratorium is also very important there. Likewise, uh, crew and spaceflight participants have to agree not to sue the United States government. And since 2015, spaceflight participants have to agree not to sue the launch operator. Please note that they are called spaceflight participants, not passengers. That's because they're taking on risk and they are participating in the launch. So the, uh, the language is significant there. The, um, the informed consent regime itself is quite interesting. Under It was a little bit modeled on the, uh, the medical informed consent, and the holder of a license or permit must inform any crew and spaceflight participants that the U.S. government has not certified the launch or reentry vehicle as safe, and must tell the spaceflight participant in writing about the risks of the launch and reentry, its past history, and the safety record of the vehicle type, including those of other launch operators and government launches. So if you're getting on a capsule, you'd be told about the risks of other capsules. If you're getting onto a wing craft, you would be told about risks of similar vehicles. Now, one of the um, offshoots of this clarification is that the FAA is licensing launches to the International Space Station. So when SpaceX takes up cargo, it goes under FAA license. Likewise, for um, the Antares vehicle that belongs to Orbital Sciences Northrop Grumman ATK. I can't keep track of all the mergers. So, um, so there's there's been quite a bit of of um, a variety of spacecraft that have been yes planned. yes and and um a, sort of a closer relationship with NASA on that front. Finally, um, the Administrative Procedure Act applies here, just like it does to any other agency. So when the FAA does rulemaking, it puts its proposal out for notice and comment. People should think of that as the draft and take advantage of that opportunity to comment because you can change the FAA's mind. There are also inspections, enforcement actions, and the, other, the whole panoply of regulatory tools are available to the FAA. That's all I got. Professor, do you see FAA regulations changing significantly in the near future with the rise of private companies, or do you think that these are going to be standard procedures for a while? Well, you know, the, the FAA has been regulating private companies all along. The, they don't issue licenses to NASA. The FAA does not issue licenses to NASA or the Air Force. So this is all, you know, part of the FAA's job since the get-go. But one thing that is happening right now, and it's very very 
very imminent is the release of the next notice of proposed rulemaking where the uh, the White House charged the FAA, I apologize for my dog snoring in the background, um, where, the FAA, where the White House charged the FAA with um, telling, with revising its regulations. They wanted them streamlined and they wanted them to be more performance oriented. So we're going to see fewer um, prescriptive design requirements and more flexibility in these regulations. So that is, and that's supposed to come out any day now, any month now, I should say. It was supposed to come out February 1st, but the shutdown pushed it off. Perfect, that's something for us all to keep an eye out for. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for your information. We'll sign off now. <laughs>